Hey everybody, get ready for an awesome interview with John Caton. It's the longest interview we've had, but it's also really full of really good content on apologetics. So if you're into that kind of stuff, you're going to love this interview. Also, next week we're not going to publish an episode because of Thanksgiving. And Doing Ministry Well wishes you guys a happy Thanksgiving. We hope that you guys get to enjoy good food and good time with family. Love you guys. Enjoy the show. Hey, Doing Ministry Well listeners, it's November. We're going to run this segment every week of this month asking for your help. If you found the show to be of value to you, would you consider making a donation to help keeping the show going? If you can donate, you can donate over at doingministrywell.com. If you can't at this time, we completely understand there's other ways you can help us out. Please generously share the show with your friends on social media. Also, you can help us out by going over to iTunes and rating and commenting. I think right now we only have about three comments on our show, and so it'd be awesome if we could fill that comment section up. Thank you guys so much. Have a happy November, and enjoy the show. Inspiring stories, practical applications. Doing ministry well. Hey, everyone. I believe you're here because you love learning from others. One of the last questions I ask people I interview is what resource has been inspiring you lately? Audible.com and Doing Ministry Well have teamed up to bring you a free 30-day trial so that even if you don't have time to sit down and read a book, you can listen to some of the great resources that are shared here. Sign up at audibletrial.com slash doingministrywell. All right. Hello, everyone. Jim Baker here with Doing Ministry Well, and today we are joined by John Caton. John, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been good. We met yesterday. You're a good friend of Jimmy Turner's, as am I, and uh, we got to hang out today, which was a lot of fun. Got to hang out uh, at the YWAM base in Nashville at their staff meeting, and I got to hear you speak up there and really enjoyed what you what you have to talk about. So tell us a little bit about kind of what you're, what you're doing and, uh, yeah, just what are you up to? Oh, I'm down here um, doing, uh, doing some apologetics teaching, so we did a... Uh sort of little mini conference at the church and uh, did a little apologetics Q&A session with the college group and uh, did a short presentation for the uh, staff meeting at YM Nashville this morning and it seemed like they thought it was helpful. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to be uh, talking to the youth group at uh, Jimmy's Church tonight, which I'm really looking forward to because, uh, oh, um, well, I hope they get a lot out of it. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, apologetics. Talk to me a little bit about how you kind of got involved in that topic. Well, it uh, sort of two reasons. One, I uh, I just want to know things. Um, I've always had this intense desire for intellectual satisfaction. Um, it's actually one of the primary ways that I've related to God in my life. I, when I was very, very little, um, well, not very, I. I came to Jesus when I was six, and uh, obviously I came to Jesus because the Holy Spirit worked in my heart, and I, I realized my need for, for a Savior. You know, that's that's how we come to salvation. But um, I remember, uh, I remember the day I got saved. I remember it was a uh, evening at a prayer meeting. I don't remember what was said. I don't remember what was prayed. I don't remember what was preached. But I just remember, uh, I remember the, uh, um, I remember I had this encounter. You know, I, now I know it was with the Holy Spirit. That's how my parents explained it to me. They were. Uh, wonderful Christian people, but um, the uh, the way I describe the encounter is it was um, I felt I felt truth, and I, I realized in that moment that uh, that there was there was an absolute truth um, that uh, that underscored you know all of reality, and uh, and that that truth was a person, and uh, and that that person had uh, wanted to wanted to engage with me, and uh, 
<clears throat> that uh, I don't know, really the, the meaning of life was to uh, you know to engage with this uh, this person this truth and I wanted to align myself with this and uh, you know I I wanted the answers you know I knew that uh, you know God had all the answers you know I, I was such an inquisitive little kid and I was always peppering my parents with uh, with questions and they you know did their best but and they were very intelligent, educated people, but they didn't have all the answers, and nobody did except, except God. You know, they told me God, God knows everything. I said, "Oh my goodness, I want to know this God because this, you know, really the the, the first way that I really related to God was God was the one with all the answers." Hmm. Um, and I still, you know, it's one of, now I've, you know, I've been a Christian for most of my life, and I've you know, come to know God as, you know. Obviously, my, you know, my my savior, my redeemer, my healer, you know. Um, but uh, you know, in all the different ways that the Bible talks about God, hmm. um, you know, there's so much to God. We can, you know, we're constantly discovering new aspects. Um, but uh, you know, one of the one of the deepest ways that I've connected with God is, you know, He's He's truth. He's the one who has all the answers, and and I I want answers. Uh, so there's there's that, <clears throat> and then on the more kind of nuts and bolts practical side. Uh, the apologetics, um, like my obsession with it, and my whole apologetics teaching curriculum grew out of um, out of street ministry. Um, we uh, at I uh, I started working um, with uh, with YWAM Pittsburgh, and then I moved up to Boston to help uh, plant the base up in Boston. We do, and that's where you are right now. That's so. where I'm right now. I've been okay. there for uh, about nine years now. Okay, awesome. And uh, yeah, we we do a lot of um, a lot of uh, just. Very, uh, very upfront, uh, sharing the gospel with people, hmm. um, and uh, we found that uh, there were, you know, people have a lot of questions, uh, but there were, you know, just a certain number of, you know, very, very common questions, and so uh, the, we initially just developed a teaching to answer, you know, in a very, uh, in a very concise, practical way, um, a number of common objections to uh, to the Christian faith, you know, to facilitate um, witnessing. Hmm. Um, awesome, and uh, it just sort of all grew out of that cool let's can we get into some of that what are what absolutely, are absolutely yeah uh, do you have are they the top 10 top five what are the um well originally we we called it the 10 most common objections to christianity um we did away with that because somebody wrote a book called the 10 most common objections to christianity and i haven't read the book i it's probably quite good um but i mean we're not in any way affiliated with them so i mean i don't want to get into legal trouble so we Stop calling it that. <laughs> Plus, if you know, if the guy's some kind of heretic, I don't want to be associated with it. Right, right. Not that it is. You know, if, if, if you're the guy who wrote the book, I'm sure you're great. Um, <laughs> so maybe there's not nine or maybe eleven. It's COVID. actually kind of I. <laughs> Plus, a lot of the questions were kind of redundant, so I kind of, at least for, I'm not speaking, with, you know, authoritatively here, but um, I kind of boiled it down to uh, to four big things. Um, Origins, you know, how did how did we get here? How did how did the universe get here? What why, you know, in in those basic sense, why is there something and not nothing? Mm. And then you know, more um, <clears throat> more applicable to us, how did how did life originate? So so origins, you know, where did where did everything come from? Where did we come from? How did that all happen? Mm. Um, and then uh, um, more toward the Christian faith, uh, the Bible. Um, why why can we trust the Bible? You know, is you know, is the Bible authentic? You know, um, can we can we believe its claims? You know, the Bible makes a lot of a lot of a lot of truth claims. You know, a lot of very exclusive claims. You know, so, can we can we trust that? You know, how can we trust that? Um, and 
you know, most importantly, Jesus, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the biblical account of Jesus rising from the dead. Um, did that really happen? Because, you know, if, if it didn't, like the Apostle Paul says, our, our faith is completely worthless. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as Christians, we need to, you know, not only be absolutely sure that Jesus rose from the dead, but we need to be able to talk about it in, you know, in a, uh, um, in a meaningful way. Yeah. You know, and, and defend it. Um, and then, uh, and then different religions, you know, being able to talk about Christianity versus Islam versus Buddhism versus atheism, agnosticism, you know, oh. all the different worldviews and belief systems and, you know, who's to say that we're right, you know, who's to say that absolute truth even exists, you know, do all paths lead to heaven? You know, just dealing with stuff like that. Hmm. Um, how do you know that your God is the right God? You right. Know? Um, and, uh, and then um, <clears throat> probably the biggest one, which is actually, this is more my, my wife's cup of tea, because... Um, uh, She's just a lot more, um, well, I was going to say she's a lot more emotionally intelligent than I am, but I, I think she's just a lot more intelligent all around. Uh, but It's always she, good to marry up. No, yeah, I, I'm, married, <laughs> I'm married way up. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm just blessed. Amen. But, uh, but yeah, so um, she handles the, uh, um, the question of uh, evil and suffering. You know, which is probably the the biggest objection, and even a lot of other objections you get really boil down to that. You know, you might talk to someone and say, "Oh yeah, well, you know, you can't trust the Bible because it's been changed." And, you know, what about evolution? We came from monkeys, and then you you get you get down to the core issues, and it's like, well, oh, um, like uh, I've I've been sick for a really long time, and uh, you know, I'm just in constant. You know, why would God do this to me? Yeah. You know, my 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 grandmother. You know, she died, even though we were all praying for her. And uh, why would God do that? She was such a sweet lady. You know, um, I was I was abused when I was a kid. You know, I don't, I can't see how God could let that happen. You know, it's always something, you know, emotionally. And a lot of time people will defer it. You know, why are there starving kids in Africa? Well, that's a really good point. But really, we're talking about you here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, being able to talk about. You know how, uh, you know how God is is all powerful and all good and all loving and all seeing, but you know evil does exist in this present reality, and you know how, you know the uh, the, the Bible deals with that very well, yeah. in, in a way that no other no other religion, no other philosophy or you know worldview actually does. Um, the Bi- you know, Christianity is actually the only logically coherent treatment of the uh, the problem of good and evil. Hmm. Uh, so. Hmm. So that's in, in short. Yeah, I guess that wasn't no. really short, but no, that was that was really good. I'd love to even maybe dig into those even deeper, yeah, just sure. to yeah, to equip our audience. I mean, these are these are questions that we all run into. So let's just hit up on that origins thing. What's a common question, like an example of a question someone would come at you with when it comes to the whole uh, issue of origin? Um, well, uh, just with the, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, you know, like the the Big Bang, you know, like. You know, I said, well, you know, the best explanation for the uh, the existence of, well, everything, um, by everything I mean, you know, the space-time universe, um, is is God. <clears throat> I said, well, you know, the, the Big Bang. And I like to point out, well, you know, actually, uh, when the Big Bang was first proposed, um, there were actually a lot of atheists who got, you know, kind of up in arms because they, they thought it was the creationists trying to sneak a foot in the door <laughs> uh, because they realized the theological implications um, of... Uh, of a, a finite universe. I mean, the, um, there's one prominent scientist who said, you know, we can no longer hide behind a past eternal universe. Because a lot of scientists prior to their, um, 
I mean, even even Isaac Newton had predicted that the universe is expanding, and you know, Einstein proved it, and then uh, some other guys, um, uh, George Lemaitre, Alexander Friedman, and you know, um, <clears throat> they uh, you know created models, and then um, Edwin Hubble, you know, Hubble Space Telescope, you know, observed redshift in quasars, which we're not going to go into that. But basically, <laughs> it showed that um, it showed that the universe was. Uh, was expanding, you know, and that the uh, the universe had an origin in the finite past. So right. the universe was not eternally old, um, which means that we have to uh, we have to deal with a uh, a creation event. Um, <clears throat> and so then, you know, the uh, the laws of physics tell us that the universe couldn't have created itself. The uh, the cause for the universe must be something outside of the universe. And uh, <clears throat> and then you if you if you invoke a cause that is just you know like some uh, some atheists would say just more nature. Um, then you've got the same problem because again, the uh, the laws of physics tell us that uh, matter and energy are, you know, are not eternal. Um, the uh, the universe is uh, slowly running out of usable energy, um, and so uh, you know that that would apply to the multiverse. You know, if there is such a thing, there's no proof for that. But um, you know, eventually, logically, you know, even if you do invoke a multiverse, even if you in, do invoke some sort of you know, universal oscillation or whatever, multiple big bangs. And eventually, you have to arrive at a uh, at some sort of you know what the ancient Greeks called a, a prime mover. Um, this this uncaused cause, something that is uh, timeless, spaceless, immaterial, and tremendously powerful. Something that something that transcends nature. Um, and uh, physics tells us this. Um, you know that the uh, that the ultimate the ultimate cause for the universe or the multiverse or whatever the ultimate cause is uh, something timeless, spaceless, immaterial, tremendously par- powerful. You know that exists necessarily outside of nature. Um, most people would call that God. Hmm. So, and if you, uh, yeah, if you invoke any kind of natural, you know, mechanism, you're just left with this, uh, you know, illogical infinite regression. It's the like the who made God argument. Um, which, you know, trips up a lot of, you know, college sophomores. Well, who made God? Um, well, it's, uh, that's actually not a good question. The question's flawed, you know, because, uh, well, the kind of God that Christians believe in, and not just the kind of God that we believe, it's not arbitrary that we believe in this God. Um, the kind of God that Christians believe in is the kind of God that is logically necessitated by physics and logic. Hmm. You know, um, this uh, you know, uncaused cause, this prime mover, you know, transcendent force, um, and uh, <clears throat> so that kind of God doesn't doesn't need a creator. That kind of God, you know, exists necessarily, and it's not like uh, we kind of have this uh, oversimplified and ultimately incorrect idea of eternity. Um, we think about God as existing back into the infinite past, but the there is no infinite past. The past started, you know, when the universe kicked off. You know, before that, well, you know, God just was, hmm. you know. Hmm. So the, it's, uh, yeah, so the who made God argument is silly because um, if, you, if you go there, if you indulge the argument and say, well, you know, who made God? Well, you know, um, well, the God who made the God, you know, then you have to explain, you know, who made the God, 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 who made the God. And uh, you're left with this illogical infinite regression. Um, so, you know, if you could even answer that question, it would, you know, leave you with a logical contradiction. So, you know, necessarily there must be some sort of, you know, hmm. ultimate transcendent power. Um, and in fact, the, you know, it's not new. Like the ancient Greeks realized this. Um, they, uh, you know, 
figured out logically that you know this sort of thing must exist, and uh, they didn't know what it was. You know, they they called it Agnostus Theos, the unknown god. You know, and uh, if you read the Book of Acts, you know, Paul stands on Mars Hill at the altar to the unknown god. You know, says, "Let me tell you about this unknown god." You know, this uh, this primordial, transcendent, all-powerful, you know, necessary force that transcends you know all of all of space and time, all of you know what we would call reality. Let me tell you about this. You know, Agnostos Theos, you know, and how he is manifest, you know, on the earth, which is pretty cool. Yeah. You, think, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Would uh, would evolution questions come under origins as well? Yeah, yeah. That would, so that's um, because you know, and sometimes we like fast forward evolution because the uh, I don't know the universal origin like the I don't know metaphysics can get a little bit hairy and sometimes people just kind of you know their eyes glaze over. So evolution's literally a lot more down to earth. You know, because it deals with life on our planet, and um, just talk about how uh, um, the uh, well, how a uh, an intelligent designer is the best explanation, really the only good explanation for for life. Because if you just if you look at the incredible chemical complexity of of life, and uh, just the um, the idea that uh, that all of the all of the structures necessary to uh, you know, create even a single replicating cell coming together by, by random chance is just astronomically improbable to the point of being, you know, impossible. Oh. And uh, more so, um, <clears throat> more so, if you look at uh, if you look at the information contained, you know, within uh, within DNA, you know, and, and RNA, you know, in some viruses, and so the uh, where did the information come from? Even if you can believe, you know, with a great deal of blind faith, that um. That all of these all of these molecules came together. That um, you know that uh that you know that a bunch of amino acids, you know um, came together and uh, came together in a proper sequence and you know formed formed proteins and then you know all of the molecules to uh, to create DNA just formed you know into this into this double helix and then they uh, just happen all these other molecules happen to uh, you know form a, a lipid bilayer you know to to encase it all you know into a into a cellular membrane and um and all these other Organelles, you know, everything just all of the thousands and thousands and thousands of you know literally tiny machines, you know, because you don't just need proteins and DNA, and so you need all these other little things to uh, to um, unzip the DNA and copy the information and carry it over and transcribe it and you know, start building. It's just tremendously complex. I mean, we don't even understand how complex it is. We're just starting to scratch the surface. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, cellular biology is still a black box, um, but it's incredible. So even if you believe that all that could happen. By chance, um, where does the information come from? Hmm. Um, the uh, and current information theory um, says that uh, information can only come from a mind. Um, so it seems that some sort of some sort of mind is the or you know created life because you know you have this tremendously complex you know binary code encoded in uh, in every living cell, and uh, and then. <clears throat> You know, when you, even if you try and be some sort of theistic evolutionist, well, you know, yeah, sure, maybe, you know, like God created the cell, but then evolution took over. Um, which is sort of where Darwin was kind of, well, he, um, he never, uh, I mean, he seems to have, uh, I mean, he believed, most certainly believed in God, at least early on, and then he, um, you know, if you actually read his works, he had a lot of, he couldn't reconcile the problem of evil, and so he, uh, um, you know, essentially, he uh, 
found a way he thought you know to to distance God from his creation you know maybe you know maybe the creator kicked it all off but obviously God is no longer um, God is no longer present God is no longer imminent because because the world sucks you know so you know God couldn't possibly be here um, so natural processes are now ruling um, but um but so he uh he actually he talked about natural selection he was actually a very astute naturalist um and he talked about how you know how creatures can you know change and adapt and but he um but then he made this quantum leap you know which now you know that we understand genetics we know was completely unjustified and saying well you know like if a finch's beak can change shape you know then eventually given sufficient time it could become a whole different kind of animal um now we know that um you know darwin didn't like genetics wasn't a thing you know the uh the cell was just a, a squishy little bit, you know, that we didn't understand anything about cellular biology, microbiology, genetics, um, the, uh, we didn't know any of that. And then when they started, you know, discovering genetics, they, uh, they thought, oh, well, you know, this will, this is the creative force, you know, behind evolution. Um, this is because uh, natural selection was a, a refining force, you know, but then, you know, we need some sort of creative force, you know, to create, create new, create new features, you know, that will, you know, give rise to new species and just, you know, go from, you go from a single, single cell, like, uh, who's it, Ken Ham, who says, you know, from goo to you by way of the zoo, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's trite, but it hits the nail on the head, <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so, but the more we discovered, you know, the more we learned about genetics, the more we saw, oh, you know, all of the information was there to begin with, and natural processes can only corrupt it, you know, we thought, oh, and you still learn in school, you know, and it's wrong that um, that, uh, that um, evolution is driven by beneficial mutations that create new genetic material. Um, first of all, like there are no beneficial mutations. Ultimately, um, they might cite things like uh, um, like antibiotic resistance in uh, in bacteria, but you know, in those cases, I mean, sure, you know, <clears throat> it might allow one strain of bacteria to proliferate, but it's because the antibiotic is designed to target a certain part of that organism's, you know, metabolic process, and this one little, this one little strain is missing it. So it's that way because it's lost genetic information. Its genetic information has been deleted or corrupted. You know, it's incomplete. And even in nature, when we throw that resistant strain back into the aggregate, it's less fit for survival. Hmm. Um, and so even if a mutation does give a, uh, you know, a, a very selective benefit in a very, very selective situation, Overall, it's um it's less fit, and most importantly, it's it's not gained any genetic information. It's it's lost it, um, kind of like the uh, the mutation in humans that uh, causes sickle cell anemia. It it means you can't get malaria, but it also means that you have sickle cell anemia, which is which is not good. Right. I, I wouldn't call that beneficial. Right. Um. You know. So uh. <clears throat> so the uh. Oh, basically, the, the kicker for that is that um there is no mechanism. Um, there is no mechanism that can create new genetic information. Hmm. Um, all of the natural processes we observe, all they do is, is uh, corrupt and delete genetic information. Um, and, uh, and the fossil record um, confirms this. You know, we see, you know, we see tremendous diversity and we see dwindling diversity. You know, and uh, when we look at uh, you know, some specific examples like, like dogs, even evolutionists agree that, uh, that dogs you know, all share a common ancestor and that common ancestor contained all the necessary genetic information to make all dogs. Um, and now through, you know, in the wild, isolated populations and selective breeding on our part, we've created all these different kinds of dogs. You know, but that ability to diversify was programmed into the original dog. Um, no new genetic information was created. And in fact, 
you know, a lot of genetic information has been lost. You know, which is why a lot of purebred dogs are very, very unhealthy because their gene pools are super shallow, and so a lot of harmful genetic mutations proliferate. Um, hmm. Yeah, so it's uh, it's really the the opposite of what you learn in biology class. You know, beneficial mutations and new genetic information. There's no such thing. Sure, sure. Yeah, my head's kind of spinning because uh, it's been no, it's it's really good. It's just. Uh, a lot of this vocabulary, just science in general. I mean, it's been over a decade since I've opened a, a science textbook, but it, it is really good. And something you explained this morning, which kind of, to, to the YWAM group, is kind of the why of apologetics. So oh, yeah. I want to I hit these other topics as well, but let's hit the why right now. What, so what's, what's your motivation in teaching, other apologetic, teaching others apologetics? Uh, well, my primary motivation is, uh, is to strengthen people's faith. Um, because a lot of Christians, they... Uh, They've uh, well, we've become Christians because you know we've had a very profound spiritual experience. You know we've we've encountered the Holy Spirit. We've given our lives to Jesus. And, I mean that's that's how it works. You know you don't uh, um no God redeeming your heart isn't a, it's not an intellectual thing. You know it's it's the Bible says no no man comes to God but what the Holy Spirit draws him. And so you know the Holy Spirit moves on your heart. And you respond either by hardening your heart and blocking them out, or by, you know, engaging. And uh, so, you know, we're Christians because we've chosen to, chosen to engage. We, you know, realize our need for a, for a savior for Jesus. And we, you know, but um, we, uh, and then our our Christian walk. You know, a lot of time it's um, you know, just it's a lot of very practical things. You know, kind of uh, applying. Applying Christian principles, applying the teachings of Jesus, you know, to uh, to live a better life, and um, kind of punctuated by, you know, profound spiritual experiences, you know, and really, really good worship, you know, really good prayer, really good, which is wonderful. I mean, that's what, you know, that's, that's what it should be. But um, <clears throat> a lot of time, we the the intellectual side of it kind of gets neglected, and so um, in a lot of cases, especially I see this in uh, kids who are in school. Um, a lot of times, adults just kind of they forget everything learned in school, for better or for worse, and they just kind of go on about their lives. Um, but uh, kids, in, um, you know, and if, if you've got a job like, you know, stringing telephone lines, I mean, there aren't a lot of theological implications in that line of work, one or the other. Um, <clears throat> you know, if you're a, yeah, but if you're a student and, uh, you know, you're in this, you know, sea of ideas, um, a lot of them are, you know, very, very much opposed to your Christian worldview, and deliberately so. Um, you know, it's, it's not by accident. I mean, the uh, yeah, there's quite a lot of you know, quite a lot of anti-Christian stuff going on. But um, and so if you're, especially if you're like a Christian young person, uh, you're you know continually challenged by uh, you know, like okay, you know, I know I know that God is real because I've experienced God. I know God. You know, Jesus is in my heart. This is you know as real as it gets. So, you know, you you know for sure that you know that. God is real and Jesus is who he said he is because, you know, he's, he's changed you, you know. But at the same time, you know, you're, uh, you're sitting in science class and you're learning that, um, you know, that, uh, that life was an accident, you know, and we're just highly evolved animals. And, um, you know, and the, uh, I mean, philosophical implications of that are that, you know, human life has no inherent value, you know, and uh, <clears throat> that, um, you know, really the universe is just the result of some sort of big cosmic accident. Um, and, uh, 
you know, and that the uh, and that the Bible is you know just another religious book. You can put it on the shelf beside the Quran, the Book of Mormon, and you know, um, and uh, it's you know no better or worse than all that other stuff. You know, and it's uh, people, you know, people in more primitive times needed religion to you know band together and you know build societies, you know, whatever. You know, but now we've evolved past all those primitive superstitions. You know, that's kind of where Christianity gets put. Um, you know, and you're you're hearing all this stuff, and it sounds very, you know, I mean, there are a lot of very smart people propagating this kind of stuff, and so you get some, you know, some very good arguments, arguments that are, you know, fundamentally flawed, but, you know, attractive nonetheless. And so a lot of, I especially see this, you know, again, in young people, they develop this sort of, um, like, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance. You know, I know that God is real. I know that Jesus is who he said he was because, you know, because of what's happened in my heart, but... You know, I have all of these, I have all this stuff I've learned in school that is, you know, diametrically opposed to that. And so they, they compartmentalize it. And, uh, and so there's always this sort of, you know, schizophrenic split in their worldview. Hmm. Um, and uh, so, you know, I like to show them that, well, actually, you know, there doesn't have to be that. You know, if, you know, if God is real, you know, and the Bible is his holy word, then it should make sense. Hmm. You know, um, and even though, even though the Bible isn't a science textbook... Um, the uh, you know the Bible should line up with you know what empirical observational science teaches us you know because you know, because God inspired men to write it and you know if it's truth then it should line up with truth um, and in fact that's the case and uh, you know if if the Bible contains actual historical accounts you know then uh, when we when we look at documented history when we look at you know archaeological discoveries it should line up with what the Bible says and it does you know um, and it should, you know, it should all make logical, coherent, philosophical sense, and it does. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's my primary, just to like encourage Christians in their faith, um, and uh, let them know that, you know, faith, um, you know, faith doesn't mean believing in spite of evidence. You, you know, you have faith because of evidence. Oh, that's um, good. And uh, and also to to equip them to share their faith with others because. Um, you uh, obviously you can't intellectually argue someone into getting saved. You know they have to, you know, engage with their heart. But you know they have a certain I like to call them intellectual roadblocks. Um, you know where they they feel the Holy Spirit pulling on their own. They say I would I would love to believe you know in Jesus, but you know I know I can't trust the Bible because it's changed over time and it has contradictions and it can't be trusted. And I you know know that we evolved from monkeys and there's nothing that special about us. And then you can lovingly tell them how that's absolutely wrong. You know, and you are free to, you know, you are free to embrace the Holy Spirit and become a Christian and keep your brain. Hmm. That's good. You know. That's good. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Just the whole when when you're when you're having these conversations, it seems like as someone as soon as someone pulls the science card, you yeah, know, it's like that's the that's the Trump card right there. Science, and it's, yeah. And, and there's there is there's you can prove things truthfully there can be truth outside of science you know yeah. and it's also so interesting i'm reading this book right now by nancy piercy called total mm. truth and she just went ahead and talked about like some of the flaws in the evolution evolution theory you know oh, yeah. like the finches uh you you probably know this but it, it really just blew my mind that they were observing them over such a short period of time that their beaks did decrease 
but that's because there was a drought, and the next rainy season, their beaks went back to normal. So it wasn't uh, yeah. an adaptation that was continuing. It was just for a short season. And then the embryo drawing that's in everybody's oh, textbook yeah. was a drawing, and now that they can take actual like microscope photos of these things, they don't look anything alike. But no, the guy's yeah. drawings made them look alike. So, it, you know, just the little tiny holes that you can poke in in evolution i mean i'm not as as studied in this at all but just those little two little things gave me great hope to be like oh i can actually have a say in this in this argument you know and and yeah. and you're, you're totally true your teaching really does increase faith you know it's like oh yeah what we believe really is true and that gives me further boldness you know and and i think your ministry is so important because it is totally just equipping people to have answers that people have and i love what you say about intellectual roadblocks you know let's remove stumbling blocks from people if these are questions that they have let's go out and study so that we can engage with these people and remove those things so that they can oh yeah can really really move forward so that's awesome um let's talk about uh we just talked about origins a little bit let's talk about bible and its authenticity i assume one of the questions that you get a lot are or well, how can I trust this? It's it's been changed so many times. There's so many translation, you know. So talk to me a little bit about about your answer to that question. Uh, well, one of the things you get a lot is uh, people um, people saying, "Oh, well, you know, the Bible's full of contradictions," and uh, chances are they're saying that because you know some angry atheist in a YouTube video said it, and they're just regurgitating it. Um, but uh, so. If somebody says, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions, the best thing to say is, um, great, name one. Um, and chances are, you know, you'll just hear crickets in the background. <laughs> um, but even if they should bring up, you know, something that they think to be a contradiction, um, it's, uh, yeah, th there are, you know, ways to resolve apparent, there are no contradictions in the Bible. There's certain, you know, there's some things that are, that are paradoxes or, or differences in perspective. Like, uh, a lot, a lot of the time, the, uh, the, you get quote-unquote contradictions in the Gospels, um, which aren't contradictions at all. They're just, you know, differences in perspective. Um, you know, one Gospel says there was an angel at the tomb. Another Gospel says there were two angels at the tomb. Well, you know, the, the one that says there was one angel at the tomb doesn't say, you know, there was only one, and anyone who says more than one is a liar. It just says there was an angel, you know. Um, maybe he didn't notice the other one, or maybe he just heard angel, or, you know, um... It's, I mean, there could have been five angels, but they didn't notice more than two. I mean, was, there, the thing that people agree on is angels. And uh, if you look at the, um, and actually the, uh, the, minor, the minor differences actually add to the authenticity um, of, the, uh, of the four Gospels because it, uh, um, they really do read like, uh, like authentic eyewitness you know, accounts. Um, and uh, it's the same thing you should expect in a... Uh, from you know testimony in a court of law, if four people come in and say the exact same thing word for word, um, with all the exact same details, um, you would be very suspicious and think, oh well, they got together and they cooked right. up their story. It's it's too good, but uh, you know the the four gospels, um, the, uh, the the minor subtle differences um, you know, imply uh, different perspectives, and they they agree on all of the major things, you know, and all of the uh, they they tell the exact same story in four different ways. Um, so that actually really makes it a whole lot more credible than if they were all just carbon copies of each other. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah, contradic there, there, there are no actual contradictions in the Bible. I mean, sometimes, you know, here and there, someone might bring up, oh, you know, the actually someone recently brought up a, um, it was a, 
discovered it was in, in the book of Numbers where it was talking about a, a certain number of, of people and uh, the, uh, um, the, the one verse says uh, 22,300 and the other says 22,000. It's a discrepancy. Well, somebody rounded. Hmm. You know, or it's. I mean, that's that's not a discrepancy. You know, a discrepancy would be you know God is all powerful. God is not all powerful. I mean, that that's a you know that's a contradiction. You know, it's and we don't we don't find that. Right, right. Yeah, and you were talking a little bit uh, this morning to the YWAM group about the Bible's authenticity and how it's proved archaeologically uh the dead sea scrolls the the burn <clears throat> burn patterns and archaeology and stuff oh, just yeah. say a little bit about that because that that is so amazing as well oh yeah so I and mean, well with the dead sea scrolls i mean that's probably the most um i mean whether you're a christian or an atheist or whatnot i mean you kind of have to agree that's the most um impactful archaeological discovery ever um it uh <clears throat> For those of you who don't know, it's a, um, a collection of, uh, of ancient documents, uh, first discovered in 1947. Um, among them were uh, um, a whole bunch of uh, books of the Old Testament. Um, uh, actually, copies of every book of the Old Testament except for, I believe, Esther. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and a number of other, a number of other books, too. Um, but the, uh, you know, we generally focus on the Old Testament books because this is where the where the controversy lies, um, up until the uh, up until the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, the uh, oldest the oldest copy of the Bible we have dated to uh, around the year one thousand, um, and so you know a lot of critics uh, you know would contend that um you know surely the Bible had been corrupted you know it was it's a, you know you've got a thousand years for all kinds of you know stuff to to creep in and, and change and so um when uh, when they first found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, which were, um, you know, these Old Testament books that had been, uh, you know, that were uh, dated to, um, you know, the uh, the first century. Um, they, uh, thought, you know, a lot of atheists were celebrating, so that oh, good, you know, we're gonna we're gonna unroll these uh, these Old Testament documents, and they're gonna be completely different, you know, and that's gonna blow the Bible out of the water. Uh, but you know, it uh, turned out that uh, they actually vindicated Christian scholarship. Um, the uh, the the Old Testament books that we found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, which are, uh, which, <clears throat> you know, go back to the first century and actually, you know, most of them actually predate, um, predate Christ. Uh, they were exactly the same, um, down to, uh, like, when you compare them, there's about 1% of 1% variation, having to do with just minor, minor differences in grammar and spelling. Um, so, essentially, no difference whatsoever, which is a miraculous level of preservation. Uh, the Zeroing in on um, the most prominent of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Great Isaiah Scroll, a, uh, it's actually a trick I like to play on people um, sometimes. It's in, in good, in good <laughs> fun. You know, I'm not vindictive about it, but um, I'll have them read Isaiah chapter 53, uh, which is the um, prophecy of the suffering servant, and it details, you know, all these, you know, all these aspects of Jesus, uh, Jesus' life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection. You know, he was, uh, <clears throat> you know, he was a, uh, you know, an atonement for our sins. You know, his um, he was, you know, pierced for our transgressions. You know, in little details. He was, he was, uh, he was executed with criminals. He was, uh, his body was placed in a rich man's tomb. His, uh, his side was pierced. His hands and feet were pierced. You know, um, you know, this, this being written hundreds of years before, uh, before crucifixion was a thing. Um, you know, so where did he get it? Hmm. But uh, you know, the the Book of Isaiah was scholars think was written about 700 B.C. The Isaiah Scroll that we found, you know, dates you know, has been reliably dated to about 125 B.C. Um, and it contains the entire text of Isaiah chapter 53. Um, 
critics used to contend that uh, Christians had gone back and changed it, you know, because it's obviously talking about Jesus Christ, and it's just too good to be true. And so the only explanation was that Christians, you know, hundreds of years later, had gone back and inserted this prophecy into the Holy Scriptures, you know, to uh, to make it sound like you know all of all of this, the uh, the biographies of Jesus Christ in the in the Gospels had been prophesied. Um, but this this one scroll proves that that isn't the case um, because we have Isaiah chapter 53, the exact same Isaiah 53 that we have today, um, written at least 125 years before Jesus Christ, probably centuries earlier, earlier, um, and it's exactly the same. Hmm. You know, so explain that. <laughs> you know, explain how explain how he knew um, without any divine revelation. How is that possible? You know, yeah. Um, one of the statistics that you showed this morning was awesome, too, of, uh, you, you can tell the story, but a science professor pretty much said, what's the probability that, that Jesus, this man, could have fulfilled some of the prophecies that were, uh, that oh, were yeah. given? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a, well, it's, a, it's, it's a book called Science Speaks by a guy named Peter Stoner. And he, um, <clears throat> he, and, well, he and his graduate students uh, just crunched a whole bunch of numbers. Um, this guy's obviously way smarter than I am. But they, uh, so they figured out the chances that um, Jesus, what are the chances that Jesus was, uh, was just, a, just a man, just a random guy, not God incarnate, just, just a man, and uh, you know, fulfilled these messianic prophecies? Because the Old Testament is full of very, very detailed prophecies um, about, about this Messiah. You know, and not wishy-washy stuff, you know, he's going to come at some point and he's going to deliver us, you know, I mean, it's, it's very, you know, the, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, the Messiah will be born of a virgin, the Messiah will, will, uh, will grow up in Nazareth, you know, um, this and that, very, very detailed stuff, you know, the Messiah will suffer this way, this way, pierce his feet and hands and all of this, just hundreds and hundreds of these prophecies, um, Jesus fulfilled all of them, um, and uh, so, you know, what are the chances, because, uh, you know, other people, other boys were born in Bethlehem. Um, you know, what are the chances that another boy was born in Bethlehem and then also fled to Egypt? You know, sure, it could have happened, you know, and then grew up in Nazareth. Well, maybe, you know, I mean, other people were crucified alongside Jesus. You know, so, <clears throat> you know, so other random people did stumble into some of the other, these other, you know, so what are the chances that, uh, you know, what are the chances that Jesus was a random guy and just fulfilled all these prophecies? So they, you know, did all the number crunching and figured out that um, the chance of uh, Jesus being a random dude and fulfilling eight messianic prophecies uh, was um, um, approximately uh, one times ten to the seventeenth power, um, or one in one in uh, ten to the seventeenth power, um, which is uh, statistically um, equivalent to uh, uh, imagine you take the the uh, state of Texas and you cover the entire state of Texas. Um, Two feet deep under, uh, you know, with uh, silver dollars, um, and you mark one of them and you know, stir it into the mix, um, and uh, then you blindfold a guy. You know, I don't envy this guy, and you you let him go in Texas, you know, the entire state of Texas, and uh, say, you know, run around and pick out that one marked silver dollar, you know, in Texas, buried two feet deep in silver dollars. You know, pick out that one silver dollar on your first try. Um, the chances of him doing that um, are. Uh, um, one in ten to the seventeenth power. Wow. Um, and that's the chances that uh, that's the chances of Jesus being just you know some guy not God and fulfilling eight messianic prophecies. Only um, eight though, right? Yeah. If you kick it up to forty-eight messianic prophecies, they're going in like orders of magnitude here. Um, it's uh, one in ten to the hundred and fifty-seventh power, I believe. This is off the top of my head, um, which is uh, 
there's nothing comparable to that. It's significantly greater by many orders of magnitude um, than the number of electrons that are <laughs> that are thought to exist in our um, in our known in our observable universe, wow. uh, which is about one, which is about uh, ten to the power of 130. Um, and then the uh, and keep in mind, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies, wow. which is a, a number that is. The chances of that happening are, it's a number so, so big that no supercomputer in the world can even touch it. Um, so e even on the basis of statistical probability alone, Jesus has to be the Messiah. Um, so there's that. Um, <laughs> then we also, we also talked about archaeology and how you know, every single... Um, every single time we, uh, we dig in the earth you know, to uh, try and... Uh, Try and assess whether or not the Bible is true. It affirms the Bible. Hmm. Um, you know, one uh, one one uh, really good example is Jericho. You know, which is a very very strange story, and a lot of people used to pick on Jericho. Well, I mean, they still pick on Jericho, but um, you know, uh, critics uh, critics will say, well, you know, Jericho is a ridiculous story. You know, they uh, you know they march around the city, the walls fall down as if by magic, forming this this ramp, this perfect ramp for the armies of Israel to run up, you know, and, uh, and then they set the whole place on fire. Of course, that wouldn't happen because in the ancient, they would have laid siege to the city, they wouldn't have attacked it because that would have been suicidal. They would have just surrounded the city, cut off, you know, all, cut off every, you know, thing going in and out and waited for them to starve, you know, and then just gone in and taken the city, um, just walked in. Um, and <clears throat> and they, uh, they certainly wouldn't have, uh, you know, they would have looted it. You know, if there was any food left, they would have taken that. You know, an army marches on its stomach. You know, out of necessity, they would have taken all the food. So the idea that, um, you know, these walls would just fall down, forming this perfect ramp, and the armies would go up in, and they wouldn't take a thing, they would just set it all on fire, um, is, uh, is crazy. Um, but, you know, archaeology confirms that that's exactly what happened. Hmm. Um, we, uh, we dig down through the, uh, you know, through the the mound, you know, that represents all the different layers of history, and uh, the uh, the layer that corresponds to the time when the Bible alleges that Joshua attacked Jericho, we find a catastrophic burn layer. Um, we find uh, we find big jars filled with grain, um, which uh, you know, which shows that the city was attacked in the spring, um, because that's in that part of the world is when they harvest grain, and that's when the Bible says the city was attacked, um, and that uh, they they didn't uh, th there was no siege because um, they hadn't had a chance to eat any of the grain. Um, and the, the attackers didn't take the grain, they just torched it all, um, even though that's crazy. Why would they do that? Um, the only explanation is God told them to. Um, and uh, you know, and we, we find a, a wall that has uh, fallen down and formed a perfect ramp, um, except for one little section of the wall, um, which, is, which is standing, um, and it's, the, uh, it's, the, um, it's the, uh, the lower part of the city where the, um, you know, the lower class of society would have lived, and if you remember in the story, um, two Hebrew spies go in and they're helped by a lady named Rahab, who's a prostitute, so she would have lived in the, the downhill, you know, bad part of the city. Her house would have built right into the lower city wall. And, um, <clears throat> and they said, you're going to be spared, you know, God's going to preserve you. you know, and she becomes part of the nation of Israel and, you know, winds up in Jesus' genealogy, which is a tremendous story of redemption. Uh, but <clears throat> archaeologists find the, uh, the entire wall collapsed. Perfect ramp, you know, burn layer, all that. But one section lower in the wall, you know, in the in the scummy part of town, you know, where a prostitute would have lived, um, this one house built into the wall has not collapsed. Obviously, if God promised to spare you, He's not going to bring your house down on you. So, you wow. know, it's uh, so even even these, all these little details are you know confirmed even in this ridiculous, unbelievable you know <laughs> Bible story. 
we dig in the earth and we find that's exactly what happened. Even though we have, you know, we look at, you know, historical precedents and we have no reason to believe, you know, any of it. But that's what the evidence shows us. Hmm. So it's, it's pretty cool. That is cool. I'm going to skip ahead just to the evil yeah, and suffering yeah, question. Because um, I think that's the most common. And I think what really you said early, earlier is so true, is that people will throw these other intellectual ones out to try to get you to, you know these are their excuses of why they're not going to believe but when you really get down to the nitty-gritty it is this evil and suffering question and it's it's one of those emotional things so how do you how do you deal with that i think a common question is how can a loving god do the things he did in the old testament that's a real common question yeah <clears throat> well the um the, the one funny thing is uh, a lot of the time it's atheists leveling that question and uh the thing with atheism is they have no they have no intellectual grounds for any kind of morality um, you know, if we're just, you know, if we're just, uh, you know, if we're just big animated gobs of protein, you know, I mean, we have, we have no kind of intrinsic value, you know, we're just, we're just part of this grand chemical reaction. Um, and so, uh, you know, in, in their world, properly speaking, in their worldview, um, like good and evil and morality and right and wrong, you know, are all completely incoherent ideas. Hmm. Um, they're just meaningless. Um, and so, actually, in order to make any kind of moral judgments whatsoever, um, if you're not, you know, if you're not, uh, well, conservatively speaking, at least a theist, um, you uh, you need to borrow from, you know, you need to borrow from this theistic worldview, you know, to make your uh, your moral claims. Um, and then, when you're leveling accusations against God, um, uh, like uh, like Francis uh, Francis Chan does a brilliant job of pointing this out. Um, he has a book called Erasing Hell, which is uh, which is brilliant. Um, he uh, points out that uh, you know whenever you make a statement like um, I couldn't believe in a God who would, you know, he says, um, you know, would what, you know, do something that you wouldn't do, you know. Any time I make a statement, you know, like God wouldn't, you know, I'm putting I'm putting God's um, sense of morality, um, you know, in subjugation to my own. You know, and so is it possible that God's sense of morality is uh, is more advanced than mine? You know, in in the same way, you know, I, I have a child. You know, she's uh, she's adorable. She's eighteen months old, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I at least would like to think that my sense of morality is more finely tuned than hers. You know, and I'm you know trying to teach her right from wrong. Um, you know, and because I love her, you know, and uh, you know, sometimes she, you know goes into it, you know, she's, uh, you know, she'll, like, go and try and stick her finger in a plug sock and I'll smack her hand and say, no, you know, for her own good. But, you know, all she knows is that, you know, I want to do this thing, and, you know, I got I got smacked on the hand. You know, so uh, a lot of time when God smacks us down, it's, it's out of love. But um, getting back to the Old Testament, um, uh, sometimes um, the, uh, in, some, in some cases, people make this assumption that uh, because, because something... And it's based on what they know of, of other religions um, and other worldviews. They assume that uh, because somebody in the Bible does something, especially if that somebody is, uh, you know, like a person of God, that it's justified. Um, because if you, say, if you, if you read the Quran, you know, um, Muhammad doesn't, nothing Muhammad does is wrong. You know, everything he does is justified. Um, and uh, if, he, if he does something that's previously, you know, that's been previously established to be a sin, all of a sudden it's no longer a sin. Um, because, you know, God gave me a new revelation, and this is no longer wrong, at least not for me. You know, um, so, uh, and th this is very common. You're, you know, the Book of Mormon is the same thing, you know. Um, 
You know, so uh, people kind of assume this about the Bible. You know, if, if somebody, if, if Abraham does something, you know, it must be justified. You know, um, Abraham goes and he, you know, lies to the king of Egypt and, you know, brings down curses on him because, you know, and, uh, and people assume that no, it, was, it was wrong. You know, lying is wrong. Abraham did it. That's wrong. You know, um, David, King David, he was a man after God's own heart. He was this wonderful, righteous, you know, powerful man of God. You know, the Bible goes on and on about how great he was. Um, then he, you know, had this major indiscretion with Bathsheba where he had an affair and he had her husband killed. And it was, you know, a horrible, horrible sin. And, you know, he suffered terribly for that. Um, <clears throat> and the Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. You know, the Bible doesn't attempt to justify it. You know, um... You know, so the uh, a lot of people like they see th they see like the sticky gritty stuff in the Bible and say, oh, you know, like God must smile on that because you know one of His favorite people is doing it. No, you know, um, or uh, for some reason a lot of people always, I don't know why I get this because you know, it's kind of an obscure story, but people bring up the uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah when um when the the two angels are going in to rescue Lot on Abraham's behalf, you know, because Lot really didn't deserve it, but God loved Abraham, so you know they're going in to save Lot, and the men of the city are very wicked men and they want to you know, send these men out so we can do certain things to them. And uh, Lot's, you know, trying to be hospitable, and so he says, take my daughters instead, you know, which is horrible. You know, you know, fortunately he didn't follow through with it, you know, and the angels end up saving all of them. But, um, you know, people look at it and say, oh my goodness, you know, how, how could, you know, how is that justified? I'm like, well, it's not, you know, I mean, maybe he was in line with, you know, it seems he was in line with some sort of, you know, like hospitality practice, you know, of the time. It was, but you know, it was, it was, a, you know, it was a terrible thing. You know, if he'd, if he'd followed through with it, it would have been, you know, really tragic. Um, so people, people, you know, and, and I say that I was like, oh no, no, that was that was awful, and Lot wasn't even a good guy to begin with. And they say, oh really, really, oh, I just assumed it was all good because it was in there. Um, but then even getting to a lot of the time, the, you know, people talk about, oh, you know, God. A lot of time, like like the killing, you know, the Israelites go into the Holy Land and they like they, they kill all these people. Um, I was like, well, you know, like God commanded genocide. Well, first off, that only happened a few times. I mean, for the most part, you know, his overall command was go in and drive them out. Um, and uh, the um, you know, so for the most part, they a lot of time they don't even displace these people. They just go in and they you know they conquer and you know they live side by side with these people. You know, quite quite peacefully, um, which is how, I mean, you look at Israel continually falling into sin and adopting the religious practices of their pagan neighbors, it's because they didn't kill their pagan neighbors. They're still there, you know, alive and well and, you know, coexisting. Um, but in, in a very few circumstances, God does say, wipe these people out, um, you know, which initially seems very unjust. But then, um, you know, on a well, on a practical side, we look at what we found from uh, from archaeology and history, and some of these um, people groups they were uh, they were suffering from you know because of their um, because of their sinful practices they were uh, suffering from some very 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 horrible venereal diseases um, that could have you know spread could have been you know could have wiped out you know like a, a whole bunch of the you know ancient mm. Near East if allowed to proliferate. So you know it was more merciful for, you know, humanity as a whole that these people be wiped out. It was like, you know, it's like in the movie Outbreak when they got, you know, like like the helicopters, the firebombs, they're going to torch a little town, you know, just, you know, for the sake of... Um, but, uh, so there's that. And also the fact that, um, you know, pe people forget the fact that God had sent prophets for years and years and years and generations and generations and generations to these people um, and, uh, you know, asking them to repent and they refused to repent. And if you... Um, if you fast forward to uh, the book of Jonah, 
you know, you have a city like Nineveh where the people are, you know, horrible, evil people, you know, you know, in, you know, neck deep in the most detestable practices. Um, and a prophet of God goes and preaches to them and they sincerely repent and God spares them. You know, God's, you know, just ready to torch them with fire from heaven and, uh, and they, they repent and they turn and they're spared. And then, you know, a few centuries down the road, they, you know, get bad again and, you know, um, yeah, Babylonians wipe them out. But, um, you know, that's, that's different. But, uh, you know, so we have, you know, every, anywhere in the Bible when someone sincerely repents, you know, no matter how evil they've been, you know, when they sincerely repent, they are spared. So these are people who have been warned and warned and warned and warned and warned and for, you know, for the sake of everyone, they're, you know, they're wiped out. Plus, you know, God... Um, I mean, the uh, like, like Job says, you know, that the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. I mean, God can do what He wants at the end of the day. You know, I mean, who, who are you to say otherwise? That's you know, good. Um, That's yeah, good. and and these people, like people, don't realize how terrible these people were. I mean, they were like, uh, um, you know, in some cases they uh, they worshipped this god named Moloch, and uh, Moloch they they would uh, have a statue of Moloch with them. Um, with his outstretched arms, and they would heat the statue up until it was glowing hot, and then they would put their babies um, on into Moloch's outstretched hands, and uh, and they would be burned alive as an offering to Moloch. Um, you know, that was just one of the many you know common practices that they engaged in. You know, um, so you know th th these are the kind of people we're dealing with. These aren't you know, you know, nice innocent people who you know all of a sudden the big bad Hebrews come in and kill them all, and isn't it terrible? You know, um, this was. I mean, the righteous judgment of God is not pretty and it's painful, but, you know, it's justified. Hmm. That's good. That's good. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back with John, and he's going to give us three tips, practical tips on doing ministry well. If you haven't checked out the new doingministrywell.com website, check it out. We chose Swissco to do our overhaul and are so happy with the results. Swissco makes ministry websites beautiful and hassle-free. Schedule a free consultation today at swissco.us. Hi, this is Brian Ensminger. If you enjoyed doing ministry well, we'd really appreciate it if you'd check out the Engaging Missions show, where we deliver God's stories to your earbuds. You can find us at engagingmissions.com. All right, and we're back with John. John, uh, this is going really good. I'm really enjoying everything you're talking about. You're making my mind spin a little bit, but it's, it's good to get a, a mental workout, and, and I'm really hoping that this podcast is going to help equip our listeners to answer some of these hard questions. So you mentioned uh, during the break that you wanted to kind of hit on two more points about kind of the moral issue. Yeah, a couple of more things. I kind of felt like, because I, I ended on sort of a heavy note, and um, you know, practically speaking, when you're uh, sharing your faith with people and trying to answer things... Um, you know, God's sovereign; He can do what He wants. Is a uh, you know completely sound theological um, answer, uh, but it's you know not not really in any way satisfying. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you know, people just generally become indignant. Um, not that you shouldn't, you know, not that you shouldn't be honest, but the uh, <clears throat> I don't one thing people um. Uh, I don't know, more, more practically and generally, um, a lot of the time people will, uh, hmm, they'll say something, you know, basically along the lines of why doesn't God stop evil? You know, he's, if he's all, if he's all powerful, um, and all seeing, you know, then, you know, he can see evil and he, he can do something about it, so why doesn't he just stop it? Why doesn't God just stop evil from happening? The, you know, he, he must either not be all powerful or not be all seeing, or he must not care. 
you know, or something like that. Um, <clears throat> but the uh, um, a good way to answer that, and uh, this, um, if you uh, if you think this is if you think this is a really um, you know smart answer, uh, it's it's actually my wife um, who says this, and I think she stole it from C.S. Lewis. But um, uh, she would say, um, where uh, you know, okay, um, where would you want God to stop? You know, um, okay, you know, we want God to stop uh, like Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin, you know, you know, killing tens of millions of people. Okay, we want God to stop. Well, what about um, you know, okay, well maybe maybe uh, like the uh, what about just murder? You know, you know, some guy's about to murder. You know, okay, we stop it. So we stop murder. Well, what about um, well, what about just people getting beat up really bad? You know, like some. Okay, well, you know, where do you want him to stop violence? You know, like uh, when when blood is drawn, or you know, somebody just gets slapped, or, or what about what about hurtful words? You know, because uh, you know, so, sometimes words can really have a really terrible. So maybe you know, maybe God, um, you know, causes some sort of interference in the air, and so you know, you start to say hurtful words, and they just don't come out. You know, um, but then uh, you know, or would you, you know, what about what about harmful, th you know, or harmful thoughts? You know, or what do you? you you uh, you throw somebody a dirty look, you know, and ruin their day. Like, where where do you want God to draw the line? Mm. You know, and uh, wherever you draw the line, it's going to be arbitrary. You know, um, and uh, so either you know either God, um, you know, either God stops all evil, or you know, or He allows us to have free will. You know, ev anywhere you draw a line is going to be arbitrary. And um, you know, generally, you know, people would have that line be drawn right before them. You know. Um, <laughs> You know, God can God can stop all the murders because uh, you know I really couldn't see myself killing anyone. You know, maybe God can stop you know um, like violent assaults and you know rapes and different things because you know I'm 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 not I haven't ever done anything like that. But you know, maybe God should allow you know some harsh words as long as because I you know like speak my mind and you know say bad things sometimes you know and certain you know God certainly shouldn't stop. Uh, you know, like judgmental thinking, because you know, then I'd be a crispy critter immediately. So you know, wherever, wherever we wherever we would have God draw the line is generally, uh, you know, um, right past us, hmm. which of course is arbitrary. You know, I mean, uh, Adolf Hitler would you know have the line be you know just like just to the left of him. You know, um, <clears throat> you know, so uh, so there's so there's that. You know, if uh, if God, you know, you know, if if God draws a line, it's going to cut right through all of us, and we're all dead. You know, so uh, we um we're all sinful. You know, we're all uh, opposed to God. You know, in our in our sinful nature, and so um you know thank God you know that He doesn't you know just you know stop evil from happening you know right there because we're we'd all be dead. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, you can there's a, a Christian philosopher named uh, Alvin Carl Plantica who makes a very good argument for um you know for the existence of evil. Um <clears throat> and again he borrows a lot from C.S. Lewis. We all do. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> that uh, you know, evil, evil isn't actually. Um, it's it's not actually a, a separate entity in and of itself. Um, C.S. Lewis said, uh, "You can have good without evil, but you can't have evil without good." Um, it's a distortion. Um, in the same way, you. Uh, it, it's like you. Uh, um, you know, you can only define darkness as an absence of light. You know, you define cold as an absence of heat. Um, you know. Uh, you know physiologically, you know, physically speaking, there's no such thing as cold. Cold is just, you know, a relative absence of heat. You know, um, and so evil, in the same way, evil is a, you know, evil is a lack of goodness. You know, if we define goodness as the nature of God, you know, evil, it, evil happens when we depart from that. You know, 
So, uh, so anyway, Alvin Plantinga argues that uh, in order for um, <clears throat> in order for cre in order for God to create creatures capable of moral good, He had to create creatures capable of moral evil, um, because uh, if you're not capable of moral evil, then you're really not capable of moral good. You're just you know an automaton. Um, so uh, you know God had to in free will. Um, if God is sufficiently loving, then you know free will. Uh, his His loving nature demands you know that He give us free will, um, <clears throat> and uh, He gives us the ability to be good or be evil. And uh, so, you know, evil exists because, you know, because God loves us and he desires to have a relationship with us, um, you know, which means that he must give us free will, you know, to choose whether or not to freely love him or not, because otherwise it's not a relationship. And really, you know, God doesn't, you know, why would God create us just to serve him? He doesn't need our physical help. I mean, he, he spoke the cosmos into being, like, what can I do for him? You know, and uh, he doesn't, you know, he's not insecure. You know, if I, uh, <clears throat> you know, if I, uh, if I, um, you know, choose to reject him and don't serve him and don't worship him, you know, it grieves his heart because he wants to have a relationship with me. You know, that's, that's why it hurts God when I refuse to serve him, refuse to worship him. Like, it's not because, you know, he's like, oh, no, now there's a lot I can't get done because I don't have John's help and I feel all insecure because he's not worshiping me and I don't think I'm good anymore. Like, no, you know, God's completely secure. In, in who he is, and he's all-powerful, so, you know, he wants to have a relationship with us. And in order for that to be possible, we need to have the free will to, to love him or to not love him, you know, to practice good or practice evil, you know, and evil is when we turn away from God. Hmm. Um, and so in order for God to be sufficiently loving, you know, he must give us free will, and so the possibility for, not, not necessarily evil, but the possibility for evil must exist. That's good. That's good. So, let's get into a little bit more of the, the practical stuff, um, and just hear a little bit more about you. So, YWAM Boston is kind of your day gig, but yeah. in the evening, you're doing what? I'm going to night school at Harvard um, for pre-med. Nice. Yeah. And uh, over lunch, you were sharing a little story about uh, kind of... <sighs> Uh, an awesome opportunity you've had at Harvard. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Uh, so, so well, I uh, <clears throat> I got this opportunity because uh, um, because I'm well, at least was uh, quite medically interesting. I um, so I, I had a a really severe immune deficiency my whole life. Um, doctors still never really figured out what the cause was. Um, I uh, for all of you. Uh, medical science geeks, I, uh, my T-cells were almost completely dysfunctional and uh, I didn't have B-cells. Um, so, for everybody else, I got sick a lot. Um, sick all the time. Lots of, you know, I, I literally, I can't count how many times I had pneumonia wow. um, and all kinds of other things. Um, <clears throat> and just, I mean, over the years, I've, you know, yeah, I've just been sick a lot. <clears throat> and it, uh, it all kind of, I, uh, I moved up to Boston um, to uh, to work with YWAM, um, but then God also provided amazing medical care for me, and that was actually you know a, as a testimony to God's providence. I, uh, um, I uh, at the time I was working as a teacher, and I had health insurance. I had quite good health insurance, you know, which uh, was necessary to you know, pay for all the drugs and treatments to keep me alive. And um, <clears throat> YWAM doesn't offer health insurance, um, and so people said, "Oh, you know, like." you need health insurance because otherwise you won't have these drugs, you won't have these treatments, and you will die very quickly. I said, well, you know, God's not calling me to Boston to kill me. Um, you know, he must have a plan. 
Uh, so I went, and he did. Um, I, I was able to, uh, uh, um, I was able to get uh, get good health insurance, you know, for for not a lot of money, um, because Wyland didn't offer, so I was able to buy it separately. And um, I, uh, you know, I've had amazing medical care. Boston's, you know, Boston has some of the best hospitals in the world and some of the best doctors. And um, I, uh, so I, I, one of the doctors I got connected with, um, <clears throat> my my immunologist, uh, he he saw everything I went through, and um, you know, I. Uh, um, by the way, spoiler, I'm, I'm totally healthy right now. I had uh, um, two bone marrow transplants and a whole lot of drama, and now I'm completely healthy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, praise Jesus. But, uh, yeah, so this, my, my immunologist comes to me, and he, uh, he says, well, you know, you're, uh, you're um, the, uh, <laughs> the most interesting medical case I've ever had, you know, which uh, I, I guess I should be flattered, but it's, you know, Kind of when when you are that person, it's kind of it's like oh, I wish I were a little more typical because yeah. it would hurt less. But um, <clears throat> so he uh, invited me to come to his uh, class at Harvard Medical School. He teaches immunology at Harvard Med, and he said, you know, we want to interview you, you know, and just ask you questions, you know, for, for educational purposes, just about all of the uh, interesting medical things that happen to you. And um, I uh, I was glad to do it, but uh, I can't I can't talk about uh, my my medical story. Without uh, without talking about all the times that God healed me, hmm. um, because because He did. I mean, there are uh, you know multiple times. There's one time I was you know very small and uh, in the hospital and I had a fever um, of uh, 105, and it, at one point it spiked up to 107. It was ridiculous. The doctors couldn't you know see how I was still the you know like con you know lucid, let alone conscious, let alone alive. You know. You know, I, uh, and then my grandma got on her prayer chain, and uh, you know, three churches full of uh, little old ladies were praying for me, and I left the hospital the next wow. day totally fine. So, you know, lots of stories like that where you know I should have been you know dead or at least you know greatly debilitated, and people prayed and I got better, um, <clears throat> or you know stories where I uh, you know just uh, went through all of the all of the prescribed medical treatments and the drugs and whatnot, but I responded miraculously well, you know, recovered way better than I should have. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so I, you know, and just all the times when uh, God brought me comfort in a hospital bed. Um, and, uh, you know, some of my best Jesus times have been when I, you know, was, uh, you know, mostly dead in a, in a hospital bed. Um, and I just, you know, felt the presence of God and it was amazing. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for it. I'm, you know, I, I don't I don't appreciate the fact that I've been catastrophically ill a bunch of times, but I do appreciate the fact that it's brought me closer to Jesus. Mm. Mm. So, you know, I, I have to talk about that. So, I, so I figured, okay, well, you know, I'll go in. You know, this is a one-off. I'm going to go in, and I'm going to you know talk about my medical story. And I'm also going to talk about you know I'm also going to talk about Jesus because you know, because I have this platform. I'm going to take advantage of it, and these kids need Jesus, and so I'm going to go for it. And you know, they're probably going to get run out of the building but whatever you know <clears throat> and so so I did and I you know I talked about my my medical story and I talked about the healings and I talked about you know my, my Jesus times in the hospital when I was clinging to life and you know and how it really strengthened my faith and uh, you know how I was able to minister to other people and you know praying with nurses and all kinds of you know and uh, you know and how I uh, you know, although I'd, you know, a lot of the time really wish I hadn't had to go through it all, I really appreciated everything that God's done in me and through me because of it. Um, and uh, all the, you know, contrary to what I had thought, you know, I thought, that, you know, oh, they're going to, you know, really be all judgmental, but at least, you know, maybe somebody will hit their heart. 
you know. Um, but uh, they loved it, and all the oh. questions they asked were spiritual in nature. And, uh, and I answered them, you know, honestly and directly. And, uh, you know, I mean, the gospel was just full-on preached, you know, at Harvard Medical School. Wow. And, uh, and my professor was thrilled because he's, um, you know, not a Christian at all, you know, but he's, uh, he's, he's Jewish. He's this, you know, wiry little Orthodox Jewish guy, you know, um, eccentric, you know, genius personality. Um, and, uh, you know, not a Christian, you know, but... I think he believes in God, but he's, he's very, you know, much uh, open to, to spiritual things. So he's, you know, totally cool with me talking about this stuff. Mm. And so he was thrilled. He said, oh, you know, come back next year. So I come back next year, and, and uh, I, I bring my wife, because she's a big part of my story, and she's been through a lot of medical stuff herself, and now she's completely healed. Wow. Um, and so, and she's, you know, I'm, you know, a very, you know, I'm a very, like, conservative speaker. Um, I actually don't much like public speaking. But uh, she's like this, you know, bold, crazy Jesus woman. Um, so she gets the mic, and uh, you know, just you know, fire rains down from heaven, and you know, it's uh, you know, she's the she's the lady in the back of the church going, mm, "Amen, mm, mm. Yeah, that's that's her, okay. um, with a British accent." Um, but uh, yeah, so so she gets a hold of the microphone and just testifies. You know, like an old Baptist woman, you know, about the goodness of God and, uh, you know, just brings it, you know. And, you know, the harder she brings it, the more the kids love it. And they ask more and more spiritual <laughs> questions, you know. And, uh, and the professor loves it even more. Wow. And the, you know, and a bunch of, like, Christian students come up and like, thank you so much. You know, we're so afraid to talk about our faith. You've encouraged us. This is great. And the professor's just ecstatic. He's like, come back next year. Like, I'm, you know, let's book it now. I'm, you know, like, as long as I'm teaching here, you will have a platform. You know, these, you know, the review, when the reviews come in, you know, you're, a, you know, you're their favorite speaker. You know, they love you. You know, we want you to, you know, and but at this time, like the first, the first time I just talked to one section, now we're talking to an entire, entire class at Harvard Med School every year. Wow. Um, about, and it's, you know, it's our healing testimony. You know, like if we were standing up in front of a church and they said, you know, testify to the goodness of the Lord in your health. I mean, it's, it's like that. And we get to do it at Harvard Medical School. That is amazing. In an academic setting. It's <laughs> miraculous. Absolutely miraculous. And we're just privileged to be able to do it. Wow. That's so cool. John, um, what are three practical tips that you'd give us on doing ministry well? <clears throat> oh. Well, I can, uh, I can keep this brief because um, I'm actually going to steal this from uh, one of my mentors in missions. Um, uh, her name's Debbie Tunney. Um, <clears throat> and she, uh, she always says um, her... Uh, her 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 three uh, her three requirements for uh, for doing evangelism because people you know people make missions and evangelism so complicated you know and a lot of people say oh you know, I could never do outreach because you know because maybe I'm not that mature in my faith or maybe you know I don't like all the apologetic stuff that I've you know taken way too much time on your no, on your podcast good. talking it's about you know, they they think oh well I don't have all that stuff in my head and you know what if I run into a really smart atheist or what if I run into you know like a, a Muslim or what if I run into you know, somebody that I can't you know really go through all these arguments with you know I, I can't you know so, so they, they make up all these excuses you know um, some of them more you know legit than others about why they can't do it but <clears throat> she would say the uh, here are the three requirements um, one get saved yourself um, good first step yeah, get saved yourself. Uh, you know, you you gotta actually 
you know, be a real Christian. Because every now and then on the mission, you know, we see people who, you know, are out there, uh, you, know, and, you know, it's like, wait a minute, you don't really have Jesus in your heart. This is, you know, awkward. You know, so, you know, get saved yourself, <laughs> you know, so you can testify to what Jesus has done for you. Because, you know, a lot of time we, especially in churches where, you know, we hear these like big impressive testimonies, where, you know, I was, you know, I was a, I was a crack dealer and I killed a guy and I, you know, I spent 13 years at Leavenworth and, you know, um, and uh, then, uh, you know, then Jesus came to me and now, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, I, I wish I'd killed a guy. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been a Christian since I was two and I've never done anything wrong. My testimony sucks. You know, it's like, the, you know, yeah. where, um, but, uh, you know. I mean that in itself is a powerful testimony, you know. Like if you if you're one of those like squeaky clean Christian kids who's, you know, like the you know your biggest sin was like, you know, you stole some other kid's eraser, <laughs> and then you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, so you brought it back and <laughs> repented in tears and told all your friends because that's what the Bible says. You know the I mean you know if that's you that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know the Lord has preserved you. You have an amazing test. In fact, I saw this one time. Um, in a, in a foreign mission, we were in, uh, oh goodness, um, was it Ukraine? Anyway, we were at a, we were at a prison, and uh, <clears throat> this um, this uh, lady gets up and says, you know, they were, um, you know, she's like, I can't relate to these women. You know, they're in prison. You know, they've done things to deserve being here. I can't relate. You know, and she uh, just gets up and she's all, you know, I've never done, you know, I, I, I've been a Christian my whole life, and um, I, uh, you know, I'm not married yet, and so I've, uh, you know, I'm staying pure. I'm saving myself for marriage, and I've never, I've never had a drink, and I've never done drugs, and um, I've uh, actually, I've never even watched an R-rated movie, and I, you know, and it just goes on about how she's, you know, been, and uh, you know, I just, I love Jesus, and He's, uh, you know, just protected me from from all these things, you know, and you know, tears everywhere, you know, because it was like, oh my God, you know, they didn't think it was possible that somebody could have, you know, like, not. In, in, you know, done all these things. Okay, not that watching our red movies is inherently sinful. I, you know, I, I like Braveheart. So <laughs> I don't think I'm one of those guys. But you know, watch what you put in your mind. <clears throat> anyway, um, so you know, whatever your testimony, however you came to Jesus, you know, whether you were, you know, whether you were like a drug lord or whether you were, you know, like the the you know squeaky clean pastor's kid who, you know, um never really did anything wrong like your testimony is powerful because because the king of the universe has has redeemed your heart and made you a new creation so whatever your story is it's good you know and just share that so yeah get saved yourself number one uh number two open your mouth um because uh you know a lot of people kind of think that you know somehow evangelism happens by osmosis you know i'm just gonna you know, I'm just going to be a Christian among them. <laughs> really? You know, I mean, okay, every now and then, every now and then, maybe, maybe, um, you know, maybe had this happen to me once or twice in my life, and, you know, if I thought back, it would actually be a lot more complicated. But, um, <clears throat> you know, every now and then somebody might, you know, like throw themselves at your feet and say, oh my goodness, I've been watching you, you know, like, my life is so messed up, you know, I want what you have, what, what must I do to be saved? Every now and then you hear about that happening. Um, once in a blue moon, maybe if you, you know, run in, in Christian circles, maybe. You know, but 
if you think that that's evangelism and you're waiting around for that to happen, um, you're probably not going to see anything happen. Okay. Um, that's generally not the way it works. You know, generally the way it works is you talk to people, um, and uh, you know, I'm not saying you can't be friends with people. You know, um, friendship evangelism is fantastic as long as you don't forget about the evangelism or the friendship. That's my beef with a lot of friendship evangelism. They kind of forget about the one, and then they forget about the other, and then they're just kind of, you know, I, I don't know. I, <clears throat> I don't want to get judgy. Anyhow, um, you, uh, yeah, you know, you, uh, yeah, open your mouth, you know, share, you know. Um, the, uh, um, in fact, I, a, a good friend of mine, um, he was, uh, you know, before he, um, you know, came to Christ in, uh, maybe his early 20s, um, he, uh, but he'd, you know, been through a lot of stuff, you know, and uh, he, um, you know, finally uh, finally got saved on his college campus. You know, somebody came up to him, just walked up to him cold turkey, shared the gospel with him, and, uh, and he got radically saved. And, um, you know, at his at his workplace, he, uh, you know, he shared it with, uh, with a co-worker of his, you know, who said, uh, you know, hallelujah, I'm a Christian, you know, g- you know, good to, you know, good to, you know, good to have you in the kingdom. <laughs> he said he uh, wanted to punch the guy in the face. He was like, "Wait a minute! You know, you never, you never shared that with me. You know, I was, I was going through all this stuff in my life. I was, I was an alcoholic. I got divorced. I wanted to kill myself. I was going to murder a man. I was, gonna, you know, I was, I, you know, I needed the gospel. I needed you to like speak truth to me. And you just, you know, I, I, I'm really mad at you right now. Yeah. You know, the, so you know, open your mouth. Mm. You know, and uh, you know." And if and if they reject what you're saying, you know they're rejecting Jesus because their hearts not ready. You know, they, um, it's uh, yeah. If uh, if Jesus has really redeemed you, you should want to talk about it. You know, so, so open your mouth. You know, and God, you know, the Bible says God will put words in your mouth. You know, He will. Uh, you know, if you know if you pray and you trust God, you know, um, yeah, the, the Holy Spirit will. Uh, you know, will give you words to say. You know, and uh, you know you'll be able to speak words of life. You know, so if. You know, your heart's in the right place. Open your mouth and speak. You know, and uh, so so yeah. Number two, open your mouth, and uh, number three, be normal. <laughs> um, you know the uh, the Bible says that we are a peculiar people. Um, you know the Bible doesn't say uh, you know this is licensed to uh, be a bunch of weirdos. Uh, you know, and I don't mean good weird. I mean weird weird. <laughs> you know, the uh, <clears throat> like. You know, and sometimes the Holy Spirit will make you do ridiculous things. You know, um, I'm not saying that, you know, the... Yeah, you know, a lot of unconventional stuff happens that is, you know, the uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the move of God. I mean, look at Jesus, you know. I mean, he, you know, got a coin out of a fish's mouth. You know, he, Jesus did all kinds of, you know, very unusual stuff. Um, but Jesus didn't just run around, you know, being a weirdo for the sake of being a weirdo. You know, you'd be, you know, people need to see that you are a real person. You know, um, you know, the Bible says, "Be in the world, not of it." You know, so don't be of the world. You know, don't be. You know, like it's like, oh, you know, I got, a, I got a friend who's, you know, I got a friend who's a druggie, so I need to go shoot heroin with him in order to get on his level, so I can, you know, shoot. Right. no, that's, that's an extreme example, but you know, it's, yeah, you know, people think, you know, you, so you know, you shouldn't be of the world. Um, you should be different, but it does say to be in the world. You know, you're not, you know, walking on some sort of higher temporal plane. You know, you're you're not in a cult. You know, you're still in the world. You know, so be, you know, be a normal person. Be a normal redeemed person. 
you know, um, just be be yourself. Don't feel like you have to, you know, uh, put on. It's just yeah. So uh, yeah, get saved yourself. Open your mouth. Be normal. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, John, as we were driving home from the Wyoming base today, you were talking about some resources that you had, some uh, some YouTube videos. Is there a, a link that you can send me that I can put up? Oh, I, I can. I can send you I can send you an email with some different links. Um, <clears throat> in general, uh, oh, let's see. I um, <clears throat> oh, I like. Uh, I'm a big fan of. Uh, okay, for the science stuff. Um, I'm a big fan of the Institute for Creation Research. Um, they do a really good job, and they've got some, you know, top-notch scientists on their staff. They're uh, they're quite quite scholarly. Um, and um, the uh, I uh, you know I, I know some people in the organization. I'm, you know, I, I know actually know the the chief editor. She's a lovely lady. Um, so it's it's a very good organization. Their all their stuff is is quality. Um, uh, Creation Ministries International. Um, they they have a lot of very good uh, very good videos online, good resources. Where there's um, I, I can actually send you a link with a whole bunch of different websites that I'd recommend. Uh, cool. I like Answers in Genesis. Um, Answers in Genesis is it's more uh, it's more aimed at Christians. Um, you know, kind of strengthening your faith. You know, everything. But uh, it's uh, it's quite good. Um, as far as individual people, um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Ravi Zacharias. Hmm. Um, you know, he's got a website. He's got you know he's got books, lots of books. Is I'd recommend anything he's written. He's he's uh you know very good at taking you know some very very like you know very hairy subjects and very complex philosophy and just distilling it down into uh you know things that uh, us average Joes can can really wrap our heads around. And he's um, so pastoral doing it. He's yeah, so, he really is. Yeah. he's just he's so nice. Yeah, like he's a nice guy. Um, we, we got to see him in D.C. Um, uh, once, and he. He just closed up the main portion and was just like, hey, I'd appreciate it if you pray for me. Uh, you know, we're on this tour, and I will not leave tonight until every question is answered. Mm. You know, and he's like, so that means, oh, yeah. you know, that I'm literally up until 3 or 4 a.m. And, and I'm just like, wow. That's, that's really, that's I mean, that's that, that's some, that's character. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, I, he uh, really impressed me. Let's see, <clears throat> I like um, uh, William Lane Craig is, uh, is fantastic, um, Reasonable Faith. That's his ministry. Um, he's uh, he's he's great. Um, I he's he's very he's uh, he's a very astute philosopher. Um, he uh, yeah, he's he's uh, very good at um, you know, taking a lot of the common uh, atheist arguments and uh, just turning them on their heads quite hmm. handily. Um, are these books or are they? Uh, j- just people in their research. Any anything they've written or their okay. websites, I'd recommend. Uh, John Lennox. Um, he's a professor of mathematics at Oxford. Um, if you want to talk about likable, he's just he's he's like uh, he's like this jolly old grandfather who's a genius and uh, you know just takes all of the strongest arguments against against Christianity and just you know just uh, you know demolishes them with a flick <laughs> of the finger. He's 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 brilliant. Um, the uh, I mean there there are quite a lot of resources out there. Um, for, uh, and like I said, I can uh, I can send you an email with just you know just all I have a recommended reading list. Um, I have you know recommended website list and uh, just a whole bunch of different YouTube video links that I could send. Um, cool, awesome. I'll uh, put those in the show notes. Oh, for for entry level stuff, I would actually I should have said this first. Lee Strobel, I really like Lee Strobel, especially he's um especially for skeptics. Uh, you know, if you got a friend who's who's not a Christian, um, but you know is generally um 
you know, uh, genuinely inquisitive. Uh, Lee Strobel is fantastic um, because his books are very, very accessible. Um, I'd start with Case for Christ um, because that's his testimony. He, uh, you know, he was a, an investigative journalist, you know, very smart guy, um, very ardent atheist, and his wife became a Christian, and so he set out to debunk Christianity so we could get her out of, you know, this stupid religion she'd got herself tied up in. And um, then he, uh, you know, he attacked Christianity from every possible angle and ended up getting saved because of it. Um, because he, uh, you know, he, um, yeah, couldn't, you know, he was, he was compelled by, by all of the, all the facts. You know, he, uh, he actually had a, a legal pad with all of the, all of the evidence for the Bible and all the evidence against the Bible, and he found that all the evidence, you know, found up on the, on the pro-Bible side. Wow. You know, so he, uh, his is a very, very good story. Um, and in fact, you find, in apologetics, you actually find a number of these guys, you know, people who, who set out to debunk Christianity for whatever reason and wound up becoming Christians. You know, um, I think Josh McDowell is one of them. Uh, if, if you, you know, pick up new evidence that demands a verdict, it's, you know, the updated version of evidence that demands a verdict. It's quite good. It's quite big and, you know, um, if, but if you're nerd enough, you can sink your teeth into it and it's just great. Nice, um, nice. Uh, you mentioned the Creation Institute or whatever. Sorry, I don't remember exactly what you referenced, but uh, let's just go out with a bang. Young Earth or Old Earth? Oh, man. Um, <clears throat> okay. So, first off, uh, my, my disclaimer for Young Earth, Old Earth is um, this, should be, this should be an in-house debate among Christians. Um, you know, you're, uh, you're not... Uh, you know, you, you're, you're not... Um, if uh, you're not uh, your salvation doesn't you know rest on whether or not Genesis one is a metaphor, you know it rests on you know the person of Jesus Christ. So you know, and uh, I mean there are some. Uh, well, okay, I'll, I'll come out with it. I'm a I'm a young Earth guy, um, <clears throat> and I uh, I mean originally you know when I was when I was little you know I said okay well you know this is obviously what the Bible says you know this is what my parents believe be. and then then I started studying science and I drifted over to the old Earth side because oh well you know like most of these Christian scientists are saying this sort of, but now I've gone back the other way because um when you uh, when you look at uh, what what um, Again, mo most people spend their time like arguing about you know like what what Genesis one actually means, and I mean I think you know I think Genesis one is obviously talking about six literal days, um, <clears throat> you know because uh, you know I mean yes the word yom can mean you know a uh, a twenty four hour day or a period of time, you know indefinite period, but you know in context when it talks about evening and morning and it talk you know it numbers and it, it's just um you know. We're, Anywhere else in scripture, when it's in context like that, it's always talking about a 24-hour day. So it seems obvious to me that Genesis 1 is talking about 24-hour days. Now, you can, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't have the Hebrew chops to go in and say, you know, oh, well, you know, yes, it's talking about 24-hour days, but it's not meant to be taken literally. It's a metaphor for building a tabernacle. I don't know anything about that. I'm not, I can't go there. Um, some simple things like uh, like the gap theory, where they try and insert all the billions of years between Genesis one one and Genesis one two, I think that's kind of stupid because it's an argument from silence, which is the weakest argument. Um, <clears throat> day age theory, eh, you know, the days are long. I mean, maybe, but the reason I've drifted back to the young Earth camp is um, because I think the scientific evidence actually fits that model better. Um, the uh, if you look at the uh, if you look at the rock strata. Um, around the world, 
um, it seems abundantly apparent that it was, you know, almost all of it was laid down very, very quickly during some, you know, grand global cataclysm. Um, we have, you know, I mean, we've got, uh, we've got fossils going up through, you know, many, many, we've got these trees going up through many, many layers of rock. Um, you know, so either all of those layers of rock were laid down very quickly, you know, which is actually a phenomenon we can observe today when Mount St. Helens erupted in the 80s, it wiped out a forest, and now we've got these polystrate fossils, these trees going up through dozens of layers of rock, you know, and they're fossilizing right now. You know, um, so cataclysmic event, you know, or you can believe that, you know, this tree, you know, was slowly fossilized over the course of, you know, like, you know, like uh, three million years. It's, you know without roots, upside down. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, I think the evidence stacks up better. We, um, you know, recently uh, they discovered a soft tissue in T-Rex bones, you know, which is a pretty amazing find. And they've actually, you know, they've, you know, now that they've, you know, they never thought to look before, but now they're finding soft tissue in quite a lot of dinosaur bones. And they've actually managed to extract DNA, um, which is a very unstable molecule and shouldn't, you know, shouldn't, you know, last very long. So, um, you know, a common sense interpretation would say these dinosaur bones are only thousands of years old. Um, so, yeah, and that would fit perfectly with what the Bible says. Um, you know, if you, uh, and uh, the these old earth, um, uh, up, until, up until the 1800s, there really weren't any old earthers, um, at least not in Christianity. And then, and then you got, you know, some of these some of these scientists coming up, you know, coming up with these uh, these proofs for why the Earth was old, um, and all of the all of the proofs that they used, you know, the uh, like erosion along shorelines and this and that, and whatever, all of their methods were completely debunked, um, as you know. But uh, by that time, um, Darwin had come along with his theory, and long ages were necessary um, for his theory to work. So he thought. I mean, now we know that you know the Earth could be you know like. You know, even if the Earth is a few billion years old, evolution doesn't have enough time to work. Evolution can't work. You know, um, but <clears throat> you know this this idea of old age is stuck around because it was necessary for uh, for Darwinian evolution to uh, to be feasible. They thought, um, and uh, it crept into Christianity, um, and uh, that's when you start getting like gap theory and day age theory. You know, people kind of trying to take what they thought to be the general scientific cons well, what was you know became the general scientific consensus, and trying to kind of read it into the Bible. Which is funny because that's actually what they did back in Galileo's time. The church had uh, taken the general scientific consensus that the Earth was the center of the universe and read it into the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that, um, and in fact, you know, now when we read the Bible, we can see it actually explicitly states the otherwise on you know several counts. Um, so, you know, we can even see in the past, you know, the danger that comes from taking the general scientific consensus, which is sometimes wrong, and reading it into Scripture. Um, mm -hmm. So I think when you actually look at the cold hard facts, um, you can make a very good case for a uh, for a young Earth. Um, you know whether you want to talk about stratigraphy or ice cores or DNA and dinosaur bones. Um, you know, and obviously there are a lot of very smart Christians that I respect very much. Like you know William Lane Craig, he's amazing. He's an old Earth guy, um, but he'd also admit that uh, that's not his specialty. He's a philosopher. He's he's uh, not a geologist or a biologist. Um, so he kind of stays in his lane and, you know, mostly doesn't talk about that. But, uh, but yeah, so, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm a young Earth guy. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time today. It's been good hanging out with you. Um, I'm really inspired by you. I really want to, you know, check out these resources that you have and really, really uh, brush up on my apologetics shops so that, uh, yeah, when somebody comes 
with an answer that's really a stumbling block uh, for them to the faith that that I'm able to, you know, chip away at that a little bit so that, you know, hopefully they're one step closer to salvation. So thanks for all the hard work that you've put in in, in doing your research and, and presenting mm. this. Uh, yeah, I, I want to read a lot more. So, John, would you just close this in prayer and pray for our listeners? Yeah. <clears throat> oh, God, thank you for... Uh... <clears throat> Oh, thank you for just bringing us all together, virtually, over the uh, over the internet here. Um, but uh, thank you for, you know, blessing me with this opportunity. And uh, I'd pray that uh, whatever it is that that I've said that uh, you know would uh, would be helpful to people. That it would ultimately help bring people closer to you and strengthen their faith. And I pray that uh, you know all of us would just have that continued, continued, you know, hunger to. Uh, you know, to keep on, keep on seeking, keep on searching for answers, and uh, you know, to uh, you know, worship you, you know, among other things, with our with our minds and our intellects that you've given us. You know, it's so amazing you've created, you know, this amazing ordered universe and giving us the ability, you know, at least in part, to comprehend it. Um, so I pray that we would take full advantage of that, and uh, I pray that we would, you know, study to show ourselves approved, and uh, that we would, you know seek to be able to answer, you know, all the hard questions that come our way enough so that we can, you know, pump ourselves up by, you know, winning arguments and not that we would think that we can argue people into into the kingdom, but so that we could uh, remove these intellectual roadblocks so that people can, you know, engage with the Holy Spirit that's tugging on their hearts. And, uh, yeah, God, uh, help us to, uh, yeah, help us to stay focused on you and, um, uh, Give us a uh, give us a good rest of the day or night or whenever you happen to be listening to this. Um, amen. Amen. All right, John. Thanks so much for being on the show. All right. Thanks for having me. If you've enjoyed this episode of Doing Ministry Well, you can help us out by rating, commenting, and subscribing on iTunes and sharing this podcast with your friends. Check out the podcast notes to find out more about today's guests and other resources. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions on who we should interview next, contact us at doingministrywell.com. If you'd like to find out more about me, your host, visit my blog at jimjessbaker.com. That's jimjess as in Jessica, baker.com.